This is a Federal News Network podcast. While you were wondering about the status of the National Defense Authorization Law for 2021, Congress and the White House have also been arguing about the intelligence authorization. Specifically, the idea of a review panel to let people challenge denials of security clearance. Here with this and other developments in this week's DOD Reporter's Notebook, Federal News Network's Jared Serbu and Scott Mossioni. Jared, why don't we start with you? What is the plan for reforming security clearance and what are the White House objections? Yes, we don't know for sure whether it will go forward or not. This is a provision of the intelligence authorization bill on the Senate side, which then got folded into the defense authorization bill. So that that is being that that overall legislation is being negotiated in conference committee between the Senate and the House right now. But basically what the the Senate Intelligence Committee wanted to do here was create new appeal rights for basically anyone who's applying for a clearance uh, and they, they face some kind of adverse action. So whether you're your clearance is just completely denied or whether it's revoked or whether you, you try to take a clearance that you have with one agency and, and get reciprocity at another agency. Um, it would it would create new appeal rights where every agency would have to set up its own review board. Um, and, and within that process, it would sort of be like, as the White House puts it, a mini trial. You would have the right to see any documents that were used to make that adverse decision against you. You would have the right to cross-examine witnesses, and you would have the right to be um, represented by counsel. There are there already is an ability to appeal an adverse decision like that, but but this would uh, the, the the co-sponsors say add a lot of transparency to the process and um, and, and give people much more information to use to lodge that kind of appeal. The information piece of it is, is in part, agencies would have to report any time they make one of these adverse decisions, how often they go to appeal, the results of those appeals, and so on. The White House objection is really twofold. They think this more sort of, it, it's not a public process, but more open process could risk uh, spilling classified information in, in ways that are a little too risky. And also, it could just slow down the entire security clearance process by adding this this extra appeal layer, which, um, which uh, you know, certainly not something we need right now to add, add to the backlog. And so could that be a veto situation? The White House has not explicitly threatened a veto on any of these measures. I should say this this particular objection was in a letter from OMB that, that was about 14 pages long and included a ton of provisions in the NDAA that they have that they have objections to. But that letter nowhere contained any kind of veto threat, which... Um, which is a little bit telling. So I think what they're really trying to do is influence the conference committee process that I mentioned and, and hopefully get some of the provisions that they don't like out of the final bill. All right. So another legislative typical process, I guess, happening for something crucial. And Scott Massioni, let's turn to you for a moment. There's an army directive now on protecting property from climate change. And this is not the first time this kind of policy has come out. What's new this time? Congress has been kind of pushing for this policy in the past couple of years, spearheaded by Representative Jim Langevin, who's the subcommittee head on the House Armed Services Subcommittee for Emerging Threats and Capabilities. And what, what this directive really does is that it forces managers and, and commanders of bases, army installations, to immediately work on assessing a plan and adapting to projected impacts of the changing climate and extreme weather. Now, all you have to do is really look around at what's going on right now. There's wildfires in the West. There's lots of hurricanes happening, and we're seeing superstorms almost every year. So there's plenty that these military bases have to deal with. And if you remember, uh, you know, we've seen a lot of, of damage happen to these bases. There's Air Force Base Tendal in Florida, 
which was basically completely destroyed by Hurricane Michael a few years ago. So, uh, you know, it's really going to take a, a good bit to change these policies. And what the Army has done is they've released a climate resistance handbook. It's a, about 70 pages long and addresses risk-informed planning and choosing climate preparedness and resilience measures. So, uh, you know, it's going to, like I said, it's going to take a little bit of time for these managers to sort of catch up and change their policies, but it's something that they hope will help in the long run in keeping their bases safer and save the military some money. And there's probably extra cinder blocks in there somewhere. We're speaking with Federal News Network's Scott Massioni and Jared Serbu. And Scott, a congressional delegation of Democrats visited Fort Hood in Texas the other day following a spate of murders and suicides, a really horrible string of incidents that has affected that army base. And they came away sounding like they saw what they were expecting to see. That's right. So Fort Hood's just really had a, a terrible year. As you said, there's been sexual assault, harassment, uh, murders, suicides, everything like that. So the bipartisan group of lawmakers actually introduced a bill last week that would take pro- the prosecution decisions on sexual assault and harassment cases outside the chain of command. And this is uh, inspired by Vanessa Guillen, who is a, a specialist in the Army who was sexually harassed and then later on killed and her body was found outside Fort Hood. So uh, this is a really big change for the the chain of command for the military. By taking this out of the chain of command, it really puts a different light on how these things are addressed. Uh, a lot of people have talked about how this could be an issue of uh, favoritism for people who are, you know, commanders who like certain people. They could kind of sweep things under the rug or they could only really uh, punish people in in ways that are within the military and wouldn't really hurt their career, or hurt them later on. So, uh, you know, not enough of a deterrent really at that, that point. And there's a, a military report in the 2014 that suggested against this. However, you know, as these things have come to, to fruition and come to pass, a lot of people's uh, minds have been changed. DOD saw nearly 15,000 sexual assaults in 2016. In 2018, they saw 20,500. And the thing about that is you have to remember these are reported ones or ones that they've estimated. So it's not a a true uh, snapshot of what's really going on in there. And and it's it's suspected that it's actually much worse than that. It's something that uh, more than 100 Democrats and Republicans are sponsoring this bill, something that I'm not really sure will necessarily get passed, but it's something that uh, will be keeping people up to date and, and keeping in mind because I think it's going to be an issue much further in in the future in the next few years. And Jared, you have been writing about telework. I guess you both have. And telework in the defense establishment is just as big an issue right now as it is in the civilian side of government. What's the latest on DOD-wide telework? I think we've all kind of marveled, Tom, at how quickly and and, and the scale at which various agencies, including, as you say, DOD ones, have, have moved into an almost all telework environment. I mean, we've heard example after example of organizations going to 95% telework. Part of the question here has been, to what extent can people who deal with classified information, like members of the intelligence community, do that? And the answer is they actually can do some of it. They're, they're not going to let people take classified information home in most cases. There are some devices, mostly issued to senior officials, that can handle secret and top secret information. But mostly what they're talking about here is is moving as much as they can unclassified work to a telework environment for people who predominantly deal with unclassified information. And we heard a couple examples of that last week. One example we heard about was in the NSA, where in, in some of their software development for cybersecurity, what they're doing is doing a fair bit of the initial development in an unclassified 
cloud environment. And then just putting the finishing touches of the sort of exotic classified software on top of that, which is a relatively small proportion of the overall development work needed to build some of these cybersecurity tools. So that's that's one example of an intelligence community agency doing some of that. Another is in the Defense Intelligence Agency that we heard about, where they're actually going to start looking at the possibility of letting people do collection and analysis of intelligence in a telework environment. Now, that would only apply to open source intelligence, where, where, people, where, the, where the information people are dealing with in an underlying way is not itself classified, but that, that would still be a pretty big game changer. So the DIA is working on some pilots on that front as well, and, and like many other agencies, has significantly ramped up the, uh, the amount of VPN capacity it has for people to, uh, to work off-site. Federal News Network's Jared Serbu and Scott Massioni, thanks so much. Check out their latest DOD Reporter's Notebook at federalnewsnetwork.com. As fall fills up with activities and obligations, even a small time saver can feel like a big help. Grammarly is an all-in-one writing tool that makes clear, concise communication easier than ever, so you can finish your work earlier and head off to family dinners, social events, and fall weddings. Grammarly is free to download and works where you do, so every project gets finished quicker. Make sure your writing is free of mistakes with Grammarly's free, comprehensive writing suggestions and get an instant take on how your message comes across with the free tone detector. Let Grammarly Premium's sentence clarity rewrites help you find the perfect words on the first try. You'll be confident writing client emails, deadline-driven reports, and presentations without staying late at the office. Get more time back in your day by writing with Grammarly. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcasts to sign up for a free account. Then get 20% off when you're ready to upgrade to Grammarly Premium. That's Grammarly.com slash podcasts. A financial plan isn't just about money. It's about what matters most to you, like protecting your family, supporting your community, and building a legacy for future generations. At Northwestern Mutual, we start with a conversation about the life you want to live now and years from now. Whether you're paying down debt, saving for college, or planning for retirement, we have an eye on your bigger picture. Get access to our financial expertise at harlem.nm.com. The Northwestern Mutual Life Insurance Company, headquartered in Milwaukee, Wisconsin.